Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. You know what time it is. You should know where you are. This is Tyler Chef, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And this week, guys, we're going to ask a very important question. Is the market crashing? And the real question should be, should I buy or should I sell? And we covered this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. It is the age-old discussion. Do we buy? Do we sell? Do we panic? Do we do nothing? Do we sit on our hands? What do we do? Well, that's a that's a deep, long answer. And we're going to hit some of the high points this week because I know a lot of you are thinking, you know, should I invest in a syndicate? Should I buy a rental property right now? Should I sell my rental property? Should I cash out of a deal that I'm in? Should I invest in Bitcoin? Who knows? Here's what we do know. There's a whole hell of a lot of things going on. I, some may even say the perfect storm. I find it interesting. I've been watching, and I know you're not supposed to watch your investments, but I can't help it. I have a quite a bit of uh, capital invested in gold and silver. And the reason why I invested in gold and silver was a hedge for inflation and uh, you know, keep my powder dry. And I've, of course, what they say when the dollar devalues and Bitcoin goes haywire that people would flock to gold and silver and the price would go up. So that's the secondary reason I invested uh, in gold and silver was to do so is to grow that nest egg, right? Obviously, I want to not only outpace inflation, but I like to make a little bit of ching ching that wouldn't break my heart. That said, uh, I've been watching the gold chart and the silver chart, and I have this app and I look at the app and, and it I, I check it every day. It's terrible. It's like watching a stock and I don't see it doing anything. I, I find myself refreshing the app to make sure it's not broken. And then the other day, I actually wrote down the spot price and checked it later that day just to see if it moved. And it moved like, I don't know, five or 10 cents. Not a whole lot. But that, that got me kind of thinking. It's like, I, if I'm thinking this, I wonder what everybody else is thinking. Yet, a lot of folks out there are still doing deals, us included. Now, you may be saying, geez, Tyler, is, does it make sense for you to do a deal right now? Maybe you should pump the brakes. And to some folks, I would say, yeah, you're probably right. It depends on what you're investing in and what you're buying. Now, if you're buying a single family home and you're going to stay in it for a long time, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, then it, you know, there really is no terrible time to buy. Uh, even though the advice is, you know, you buy for appreciation, as people are saying right now, which I don't necessarily agree with, you should buy for both cash flow and appreciation, but that doesn't really apply if you're buying a home to live in. If you're buying a home to live in and you don't plan on doing anything with the home, like what I mean by that is selling it or anything like that in the next, I don't know, five, seven, 10 years, then fine, go get your house. Make sure that you can avoid or afford it, not avoid it. Make sure you can afford it. It's well within your budget because if you're depending on a W-2 job, you know, maybe your company is going to get sucked up in these inflationary uh, issues. Maybe the one of the individual market crashes may have an impact on your paycheck and may impact your ability to cover those mortgage payments. So I wouldn't take on uh, unnecessary debt right now. Let's put it that way. So if you're out there swiping credit cards, I would kind of ease off on that. Here's the thing, which you guys may not realize is that credit cards, most of them have some sort of an adjustable rate. It's tied to some sort of financial metric, whether it be LIBOR, cost of funds, all these different things. So if you're the type of person that typically carries a credit card uh, bill, I would strongly start looking at thinking about doing away with that or, or eliminating that credit card bill because this is not a good time to carry a bunch of debt. Okay. Now, when I say that, I mean unsecured credit card debt. Mortgage debt's fine, provided that it's fixed. Or if it is adjustable, you've got a long lock in there, like, I don't know, seven, 10 years, something like that. And yes, those products are out there. 
But as far as going back to, uh, is the market crashing? Since we're talking about rates, let's start right there. How high will rates go? Nobody knows. Here's what we do know. The Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, just said last week, if you are a first-time home buyer, you're thinking about buying a home, maybe you want to pump the brakes a little bit. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard any reference of a federal chair, a federal bank, central bank chairman coming back with that type of advice, telling people literally pump the brakes on buying a single family home if you're a first time home buyer. That's called a clue, folks. Okay. That with, but keeping that in mind, he's probably meaning the, the typical American that buys a house and then every three, four years they trade out of it and go up to a bigger house. That may not be as possible in the next coming t- time frame, five, 10 years. Uh, as it has been in the past. So keep that in mind. But as far as an investor, you know, if you're getting fixed rate debt, for example, we just got pre-approved uh, for several million dollar loan to acquire assets. And we made sure we got it locked with fixed rate interest. Now, one bank gave us a, a teaser rate of fixed. And then in the last minute, they pulled the rug and switched it to adjustable, which we said, no, thank you. And parted ways. Uh, it caused us to have to bail out of a deal, but we're not going to go into a deal with an adjustable rate loan unless we're perfectly clear and have stress tested the deal, assuming rate increases, because don't think they won't raise, they will. So when you have fixed rate debt, you don't have to worry about that. Rates are fixed and that's just that, right? They're gonna they're not gonna budge. That said, we are being Mike and I are being Uber uh, uh, conservative when it comes to how we're using debt when we buy these properties. Now, we're not big believers in high leverage because you know, we're going to be able to exit this. Now, if we got fixed rate debt, that's fine. But generally speaking, I'm not going to do these 90 or 95% loans. There are those out there, believe it or not, for, for multifamily and other types of assets, commercial, uh, all kinds of things where you wind up getting over leveraged. So if there is a hiccup in the marketplace or you have to stretch things out, maybe you've got a five or a seven year lock on an adjustable and you may have to hang on to an asset longer to wait for the market cycles to shift up so you can sell and get your appreciation, then make sure you stay away from those adjustable rates. Or if you're going to get into them, stress test the living heck out of the deal. Understand this, the impact in rates, they're going to keep raising rates. They said that all the Fed chairmen have said that they're going to keep raising rates all year, probably into 2023. What does that mean? Well, that depends on who you listen to. I've heard people speculate rates could easily get to 8, 9, 10% by the end of summer. I've heard people say by next year, we could get as high as Paul Volcker time. Paul Volcker, by the way, was a former Fed chair where rates got as high as I want to think it was 20% in the early 80s. I remember those days, actually. My mom was selling real estate. She was a real estate broker, and I had to carry her suitcase full of, or sell her suitcase full of money into closing because they actually paid for houses with real cash way back then, if you could imagine. Also, you know, in these times, when you ask about market crashes, here's the thing, guys. That's, that's for me, it's a buy signal. Okay. Because if we're, everybody's talking about potential market crash, that means there are people in the marketplace, buyers and sellers, that are freaked out and scared. So maybe you should be focusing on capitalizing on that. Somebody that's nervous has a, has a property and they're afraid the market's going to drop. They may be in a, in a hellfired rush to sell it. And if you're in a position to buy, you got dry powder, then get out there and start talking to them, figure out. Hey, what do they plan on doing with their money? Do they want some sort of a fixed return? Maybe you pitch them uh, seller financing because times like this, seller financing is a big benefit. It allows a seller to get more for their home than they will if they just take cash. Because let's be honest, if you gave them, I don't know, you sell it, you you buy their house for 500 grand, they get 500 grand cash. Next year, 
five hundred that same five hundred grand left untouched cannot buy five hundred grand worth of goods and services because inflation rates are so high. So maybe you can provide that inflation hedge that I'm looking for with gold and silver by giving the seller payments for their equity, as Larry Harbold talks about. You know, the next thing you have to ask yourself is when you're getting into costs starting to increase, rents are going up, yes, but as so are expenses. Talk to a property manager. Actually, Mike did. Mike's calling on property managers down through Central Florida for some multifamily assets we're looking at and one single family asset we were looking at. And the rates have bumped up a little bit on the smaller uh, one to four unit properties. This one property management company, they're up to 12.5% versus 8 to 10% is what I see in the marketplace. Here's a good thing. I kind of like that. I like a property manager that's keeping up with the times and not going to run themselves into bankruptcy because that guy or girl's not going to do a great job managing your property. That said, when your costs go up, interest rates, property management fees, power bill, some of my buildings, like we have the short-term rental, we have several short-term rentals, our power bill has doubled, doubled in the last year, doubled. My power bill in Key West has gone up 33% in the last year. That's a big number. Uh, That's a big, big number. So if you think about that and you're underwriting conservative or not conservatively, but liberally, and you're not taking into consideration things like your power bill doubling, you got to stress test these deals, guys and girls, or you're going to get spanked. You know, if, you, if you're running a deal and you've only got, let's say, 10, 15% cash flow and your power bill skyrockets, that could be a huge impact on your cash flow number, which means you may not be able to come up with the money you need to your investors for your investors or for your, just your general bills. If you're doing a deal by yourself and you don't have any investors, you may not be able to cover the mortgage payment. You may fall behind on taxes. There are all kinds of things that could come up that you need to be watching out for. So you got a worst case scenario of this. Assume that energy prices are going to go up 30% per year. Okay. Add that into your underwriting because it's already happened. My, my utility bills in Tarpon Springs and in Tampa have doubled in Key West. They've got, so that's a 50% increase in Key West. They've gone up 33% increase. That's pretty big numbers guys. Now, Yes, a power bill, we're talking about $100 a door, but some of you I know have properties that don't that barely cash flow that. You know, some of these big apartment buildings, they don't hardly even cash flow that much. Now, granted, on a big apartment buildings, usually the owner doesn't pay the power bill except for common areas, hallways and parking lots and things like that. But if you're one of those people that has several short-term rentals in the building, you are picking up the tab on that. So make sure you do that math, Okay. Ask yourself when you're buying these assets, who are you renting to and can they afford it? Here's an example. We're looking at an up-and-coming market in and around Central Florida. Now, it's easy to walk in there and say, well, we'll just simply raise the rent to make it a good deal. Well, I got news for you. The people in that certain market are retirees that we were looking at, for example. They have a cap at which the most they can pay. So, you know, I love renting to retirees. They're very low-maintenance tenants. They usually don't bother you and they they take decent care of the property and they're not dirty and scummy. That said, they're also income restricted. They're not usually, they're in their golden years. They're not working anymore, which means they don't have unlimited resources. They have to be thrifty, if you will. They have to be careful what they're spending. And if they're not careful with what they're spending, they're going to get an uncomfortable surprise. So to avoid the uncomfortable surprise, we want to make sure that we've stress tested the tenant. What do I mean by that? Well, number one, they have to be able to prove affordability. I said this a couple of weeks ago. Can they prove they make three times the rent? So let's look at the retiree. 
They're they're in a 55 and up community. They make, I don't know, $1,000 a month in Social Security. Well, they can't afford diddly pop on Social Security. I got news for you. Well, unless they have other investments. And if your rent is going into their savings, that's going to end not well for you. Keep that in mind. Okay. So you're going to have to, guys, if you're a landlord or you're thinking about becoming a landlord, you need to stress test these tenants, make sure they can afford it. I see a lot of multifamily deals. They're just saying, you know, oh, we're going to put new countertops on. We're going to raise the rent 500 bucks a month. It's not that simple, guys. Number one, people are going to start saying no, not because they want to say no, because they don't have a choice but to say no. They simply can't afford to spend that kind of money. And when they can't afford it, you're not going to get it. And when you don't get it, you're going to be an unhappy camper. And if you've got investors, they're going to be beating down your door and you are not going to be a happy camper. So keep that in mind, guys. Okay. So another mistake I see people making right now is over improving. I'm not saying now I like to do my improvements front end because in the end, it's a lot cheaper to get something done on day one. It's you present a nice product. The tenant takes good care of the property. These are things that when market shift, when a, if a market crashes, which all markets, by the way, guys, are subject to crash. Okay, All markets, even Florida, are subject to crash. But keeping that in mind, just because a market crashes doesn't mean it's going to have any impact on you during the last crash. I had uh, several rental properties, and the I had no issues because of the fact that uh, my properties were well improved. They were nice. They were clean. My tenants weren't stupid people. They, this doesn't impact everybody. Recession does not crush everyone. Some of my people went out and got a second job where they were in sales and they started making more commissions because people were buying like it's going out of style. So they made more money. So I didn't, it wasn't even a blip on the radar for me. Granted, I sold all my flips back then, not because I was so smart. It's because I was a greedy bastard. I would, I didn't see the crash coming to be honest with you. I was a lot younger, younger back then, a lot less mature. I wasn't focusing on on the the macro and the micro of economics. Now I've got a much broader scope and, and reach, and, and I'm paying attention to what's going on in several different aspects. Uh, be careful you don't over leverage these assets. Don't go into these hundred finance hundred percent financing deals. Every time I put my my email out there on Facebook to one of these Facebook groups for a deal, I get all these people coming out of the woodwork. Do you need funding? We'll do we'll do a hundred and ten percent. No credit check, business fund. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. It's guys, 99% of the time, that's a gimmick. Okay. Or, or, and the, the gimmick is they're going to charge you some sort of an upfront underwriting fee, finders fee, approval fee, application fee. That's how they make their money. So they're gonna, probably going to charge you 500 bucks. You're never going to see them again. That's what that's all about. Think about it. Nobody's giving mortgages without social security numbers or some sort of due diligence. Not a lender out there doing that right now. That's legitimate anyway. Shysters, sure they are. Don't get sucked up in this. You're just going to get a part of you know your money. You and your money are going to soon part, as they say, a fool and their money soon part. Uh, don't over-speculate when it comes to what the end of these deals looks like or when you're doing these value-add improvements right now. Make sure that you prove your math. What does that mean? You need to tell, tell other people about your deal. If you're not proud of your deal, if you're keeping it to yourself, Obviously, if you've got a smoker and you don't want someone to steal it from you, I get that. But if you are keeping a deal and the numbers to your deal to yourself, maybe you're not telling your spouse whatnot, or you're making it cash flow, that's a red flag, guys. That's telling you something's going to go haywire. Don't get caught up in that drama. That's going to wipe you out. Avoid that. Uh, remember this, guys. Theory is expensive. Okay, Theory is expensive. Fact is profitable. So you want to focus on facts and skip the theory. 
Okay. A lot of the value add out there is theoretical. It's theory. And there are some operators out there that have done very well applying theory, but understand they've got the teams, the systems, and the experience to take the thing full cycle and get it closed. In a lot of cases, they're closing in two years. Here's what I think. A, great job closing in two years or, you know, exiting in two years. But what I also think is what dumb schmuck just bought that thing two years after, you know, it was purchased and value added. That's like buying a flip, guys. That buyer of that apartment building or whatever it is, RV park, whatever, now has a premium product or do they? Have they parted with all their cash and now they're, they've, maybe they've overpaid, potentially they've over leveraged. It's probably been over improved. Now, can they get the rents that these previous syndicate or owners said they could get? Because understand, it doesn't, it takes more than a year or two, a lot of cases to fully gentrify a, a building when you do a value add. Obviously, that depends on the market, who the management team is, the level of rehab, the tenants, the, the economy in the area. There's a lot of factors, but it's not like you just paint the, the apartment and all these people show up, you know, frothing at the mouth, throwing stacks of $100 bills at you. It's not that simple. Uh, a lot of times when you buy a value-add property, it comes with a stigma. It's got a bad reputation. It looked like caca. You know, you used to drive by and go, oh, God, that place is nasty. It takes a while for people to notice that you've done something besides fluff and buff. It takes a while for negative feedback that they left for the previous property managers that come off the internet. Sometimes there's a rebrand. They change the apartment name or the, the, the strategy or who they rent to or whatever. These things don't happen overnight. So if you're buying one of these deals that's just been value-added, you may want to pause on that a little bit and really see how much the syndicator, the previous owner, has accomplished. Are you buying hypothetics? That's dangerous. I mean, don't buy a hypothetical deal, buy a real deal, okay? Don't buy based on pro forma. That's dangerous. If the broker says what the broker tells you it'll, it'll do, make him put his mouth money where his mouth is. Of course, they won't. I'm like, well, of course it would do this. Why wouldn't it do this? They make you feel stupid. I see wholesalers doing this. Guys, we got my soapbox. What happened to the days when wholesalers, their, their gimmick was going out and negotiating great deals for buyers. They've become realtors, basically. They don't put out good deals anymore. They try to get something as cheap as they can, or sometimes they don't even try to get it cheap. They just take it retail and they add 50 grand to it and try to schlep it to somebody else. Now I see people are wholesaling apartment buildings and these unsuspecting people, syndicates and private investors are running out and buying these mobile, these uh, apartment buildings and they are grossly overpaying. Now, Mike and I have put offers in all over the state and we get outbid, I get outbid, get outbid. That's the nature of the beast. But some of the deals I'm seeing closing and I'm seeing the numbers they close that it's like, how in the heck are they ever going to cash flow that? Well, the answer is they're not. Because the only way they could cash flow is to run the, run the rent so high that it becomes a, an affordability problem where people can't afford it. There's a property like that that's about to hit the market in Key West right now. It's a, I believe it's 198 doors and it's Ocean Walk and they've raised the rent $800 a month in the last year. Say it again, $800 a month. The rent has gone up. It's gone from 3000 to 3800 Now that's a two-bedroom apartment. And it's in Key West, no doubt, but they're trying to pay for all that value add and they're trying to boost the rent so they can get a higher valuation. So some schlep can run in, in there, BlackRock or something like that and buy that place up. The problem is, is that the people that are, that are staying there, they can't afford anymore. They're already maxed out. Sometimes they've got four, six, eight people living, adults living in a two bedroom apartment. 
when you hit that mark, guys, that gets super, super dangerous. You got to watch your step. That's the kind of stuff that's going to get you knocked out of line. So over again, one more time before we wrap up here, don't over improve, don't over leverage, don't speculate, prove your math. And lastly, and most importantly, guys, theory is expensive. Fact is profitable. Hope you have a great week and I will catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.